So today I spoke with Bridget and I got to talk about my favourite subject, dogs. And Bridget and I had a great chat and there's going to be two more podcasts coming up in the next few months. And today specifically was about dog healthcare, dog first aid, and Bridget gave some useful information. I do hope you enjoy it. Please do check out her website, look her up on Facebook. And as always, if you enjoy this podcast, whatever format you're listening to it on, please do like, comment and subscribe. Your support is always appreciated. Good morning. Welcome to the David Watson podcast. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. And this one I'm very excited for because we're just going to be talking about dogs, really, aren't we? Absolutely. All things dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All things dogs. So just for reference, just uh, as you and I were talking at the beginning, I know you have a staffy. What other dogs? What are all of your dogs or uh, pets? So I, have two. I would love more, but my husband's not so keen. Um, so I have two at the moment. Um, so I have um, Alfie, who is my staffy. He is five, just turned five years old. And I have Mabel, who is an old <laughs> bulldog, and she is four. <clears throat> So a lot of people don't know what an old-time bulldog is. She, she's like the original breed of bulldog um, before they were bred to be like the English bulldogs are now. Yeah. Um, she's very tall, very leggy, uh, a lot finer than a bulldog, a longer nose. Looks almost like a slightly shorter boxer. Yes. Because <clears throat> they, um, I think it, I could be completely wrong, but I remember in the 90s there was kind of a resurgence of, and it followed into the noughties where people were like, no, no, let's have proper English Bulldogs. Let's have them, the traditional English Bulldogs. And I remember seeing them and finding them on the internet. Uh, breeders were going back to the original, how an English Bulldog should look like, or British Bulldog should look like. Yeah, because yeah. they're trying to get rid of <coughs> health issues that unfortunately have come with the breeding that has gone on in the past. So um, they're trying to get back to the original breed and to try and breed out some of those health issues. Mm -hmm. It is, it is a strange one, isn't it? Because, you know, I, I'm not really into, like, criticising people or criticising institutions or organisations, but the Kennel Club, for all of its excellence, promotes... I don't know if promotes is the right word, but <clears throat> they, they've allowed this breeding of certain breeds. I mean, they do it with German Shepherds with the shorter legs at the back and things like that. And they've allowed this sort of breeding, and it's just like, but that breeding creates health issues it does i mean i think um you're right the kennel club do some incredible work i think the the issue is they set kind of breed standards yes what is protected within a breed but unfortunately like everything those standards can be interpreted slightly differently by absolutely people. and therefore um one but one person's view of what that standard means versus somebody else's is is different um and i think that's where a lot of the i guess the slightly excessive let's say breeding towards things that aren't as good for health has come into play yeah i mean for me my issue would be is because you're right they set the standard and so by setting the standard or setting the bar they are saying to people if you meet our standards you will get kennel club recognition but they're not saying to people you've gone too far we're not allowing your dog to enter our competitions you know and that's where i feel the responsibility lies with them you know yeah i think um, i think in the last few years they have they've started to address that in some ways in terms of breeding because um they will only register pups from um a a bitch i think four pups uh four litters in their lifetime oh wow that's then, good yeah and then if anybody has um you know breeds more than that they can't register them with the kennel club they won't come with kennel club registration and obviously from that perspective if they're not registered with the kennel club they can't participate in a lot of the the showing and that that goes on anyway so I think they're kind of trying to control it from that perspective now. Um, but in terms of um, 
certainly from they've done a lot of work in terms of breeding dogs and how dogs should be bred and making sure the welfare of the bitch is paramount and the welfare of the puppies so they're addressing it from a slightly different angle i think but that's good i mean i didn't know that and, and maybe that's something um you know it, it's yeah you know i wasn't aware they'd brought in breeding rules and i'm pleased with that because they've done a lot around breeding that that is that is really really good and it is nice because they are regarded as some of the best standards in the world and and it is it's just nice they're addressing them but yeah. back back to your dogs all right so, <clears throat> so so what did you say uh the bitch's name was again mabel 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 and she's a traditional english bulldog yes. yeah she's what they call an old time bulldog or sometimes they're known as victorian bulldogs so she's the traditional breed of bulldog. And how long have you had her? Since she was a puppy. So she's four now. Um, she was four on Christmas Day. So we've had her since she was nine weeks old. Oh, nice. So um, Lindsay was very kind enough to introduce us. And you run, well, it's Dog Health Care, Dog First Aid, but it's Pause and Play, isn't it? It's, there's two Facebook pages. Yes, there is. So my overarching business is um, Pause and Play, which covers really anything to do with canine physical and mental health and well-being. So I'm I'm very, very passionate about um, people understanding the benefits of, of um, mental well-being in dogs as well as physical well-being. Um, so I do a lot around promoting that and I'm currently working on some new courses relating to how to prepare your dog for their slightly senior years um, because like people dogs are living longer lives but again like people that's not necessarily a good quality of longer life but there are things that you can absolutely do and a lot of people don't realize that actually from a physical point of view dogs from the age of seven they start to change physically in terms of the their kidney function etc etc but there are lots of things that you can do to keep them really really healthy till much later in life and um, so I'm doing a lot of work and education um, around that at the moment I'm also doing an awful lot of work at the moment around pet theft because that's becoming a major issue right now um, and then the other part of my business is dog first aid so I actually teach dog owners and dog professionals what to do in emergencies um, okay. because you, know, you are out across the field and your dog cuts itself badly and they're bleeding heavily, what are you going to do? A lot of people don't think about that until they're actually in that situation and they don't know what to do. Um, you know, and let's be honest, there's no, you can't call an ambulance for your dog. No. no <laughs> it's true though, isn't it? Because, you know, because, oh, yeah. I mean, do, do, would you, rec I mean, what, what do you recommend? In, in terms of, so I cover lots of different subjects, but in terms of bleeding, what I do is I show people um, how to apply a swab, how to apply a bandage, um, the fact that you need to keep, if it's a limb, you need to keep the wounded limb raised. A lot of, especially with bleeding, a lot of it is very much about focusing on keeping yourself calm. Because if you're anxious and you're panicking, your dog picks up on that and their heart rate goes up and they bleed more. Yeah. So it's what can you do to stay really calm? And I talked people through what they should carry in a first aid kit. You know, as a bare minimum, what should you take out with you whenever you go out with your dog? But, you know, we cover lots of things. I, I teach people how to do CPR. Um, I teach people what to do if their dog is choking, um, or, uh, what to do if your dog has a major burn, because um, actually hot drinks is the most common cause of a scold in a dog. Um, they what? either knock it over or well they either knock it oh, over oh right <clears throat> you know, so. I have this image of people giving dogs hot drinks what are you doing you crazy people some people do give them tea but I think they let it cool down a little bit yeah. but yeah so, um, or, so things like you know like I say CPR major burns choking bleeding heat stroke um, what else do we cover seizures eye injuries um, dog fights so yeah. You know, lots and lots of different subjects and what you do as a first aider. And I, the way I explain it to people is a bit like if you're a human first aider, um, your role, if you're dealing with an incident or a patient that's been hurt, your role is to try and keep that patient 
stable until the paramedics arrive or until they get into medical care. Um, as a dog first aider, your role is to keep that dog's health stable so they don't deteriorate anymore till you can get them to the vets. And I teach you what those things are to do. I love it. Is there, is it possible? Because bearing in mind, you know, you can't give a demonstration over the internet, sort of thing. In, certainly not in this format. Is there some like just with in terms of because like people go out with their dogs and they'll they'll carry water, they'll carry um, bowls, um, they'll carry the the um, poo bags and stuff like that. Is there anything you would suggest? Just like this is a good idea to carry just in case. Yeah, I mean, I would always make sure that you've got a pressure bandage with you. Um, mm -hmm. Not a human first aid bandage, though. You need to make sure it is a, a canine pressure bandage because a human first aid bandage isn't quite stretchy enough and wouldn't apply enough pressure. <coughs> okay. So you want sterile swabs, you want a pressure bandage, you want a saline pod. Yep. Um, so that if they get an eye injury or if they get something in a wound that you can flush it quickly. Uh, and probably a pair of disposable gloves that you can put on if you're if you're you know handling an injury um i also carry a foil blanket with me because okay. that used you know if the dog's going into shock you can use that to keep the dog warm but equally if the dog is injured and you can get some help you could actually use it to carry them um there are lots of different ways you can use a foil blanket so i always carry a foil blanket with me too and i would say that's the absolute bare minimum that you want to carry with you um but obviously there are lots of other things that you could you yeah. carry with you. but i would say you know in in terms of um bare minimum then those are the things you should have okay yeah that becomes quite a kit well you can get the, you know you can just put them in a little bag i mean they don't yeah. take up a amount of room so um you can have either a little first aid pouch i've got like little first aid pouches that actually can clip onto your lead and things so oh that so they are that small you can really break yeah. them i mean you won't be able to describe this to your client you know, people that are listening but you know they're yeah that's that, that yeah that fits in your hand yeah yeah, so, yeah literally it fit in the palm of your hand like that yeah so um but, can do you sell them yes i do you do sell them okay so we're going to need that link for the bridget shop <laughs> first aid kit uh so I'm just writing that down. <laughs> I'll ask you for the link later so I can attach it to, um, and uh, and I'll, I'll order one. So because no, but that is you know with with everything that you described, that's a lot smaller than I was imagining it to be. You know, yeah, that... but I mean they don't a massive amount of room. I mean I've got like so the uh, actually little pressure bandage. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, it doesn't take up a lot of room. It's not bulky and heavy to carry around, but you've got the bare essentials. Hmm. Um, but no, but I mean, because obviously people on YouTube will be able to see that, but for people who are listening on audio, um, unless Bridget has the hands of a giant, which it didn't look like, <laughs> it actually fits in the palm of your hand. It's, it's really quite small. Um, you know, it, it looked like it could easily fit inside a coat pocket. Yes, it does. You know, so for reference. And no, that's I was, I'm impressed with that. I'm impressed with that. So, so how did you get into this? Um, so I've always, I mean, I've always had a passion for dogs. Um, I trained, oh god, probably about four-ish years ago, maybe a little bit longer actually. I trained to be a dog trainer, not because I particularly wanted. To train other people's dogs but i wanted to make sure that i built a really good bond with my dogs yeah. um, and i don't want to train them to be robots i mean they're not the best behaved dogs in the world um i didn't want them to be robots but i wanted to make sure that i was doing the right thing and training them correctly and using the right kind of methods to train them because there's so much out there on the internet that is so conflicting everything you read you can read the opposite to and well, really yeah so I trained as a dog trainer originally, and I was working in the corporate world at the time, um, but I was also a keen runner. Um, and I decided that actually I wanted to combine exercising my dog with running. So I took up a sport called Canicross, um, which is, uh, if you haven't heard of Canicross, it's a 
sport where you basically wear what looks like a climbing harness your dog wears a specially designed harness that doesn't impinge their movement and you tie yourself to them with a bungee rope and then you run behind them across the field so it's like sledging but you haven't got a sledge you've got to run yeah um, i think i have seen that it's great fun absolutely great fun so i took that up um and there was no trainer really very local to me so i actually then trained with a company called Dogfit to become a canicross trainer so i started that and then i thought you know i much prefer all this stuff i'm doing with dogs to working in the corporate world so <laughs> i was looking at a way to keep growing my business so that i could actually do it full time and the i went on a dog first aid course myself um yeah about three and a half four years ago now and um went along thinking yeah i'm a pretty good dog mum. i know most stuff but i'm sure i'll learn something and i came out thinking i don't know how my dogs are still alive i didn't know these things you know um but was really 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 passionate about what they were trying to achieve and then the opportunity came um just over two years ago now to actually deliver the dog first aid training myself and i just jumped at the chance and that that was also sufficient for me to leave the corporate world and work full-time talking about dogs which is heaven yeah no it is i, I completely agree dog dogs are pretty much one of my favorite subjects you know what <laughs> I mean? and there's that old uh, saying goes dogs are my favorite people so <laughs> so do you have a long history of dog owning dogs oh we had dogs when i was a child um and then i had dogs was when I was first married and when my, my boys were fairly young. Um, and then I lost, I had a flat coat retriever and I lost him at the age of eight. Um, unfortunately, flat coats do tend to get cancer. Um, and I lost him at eight and absolutely devastated. So I actually went a few years without a dog. Yeah. But life's just not the same. Um, and yeah and then my boys kind of grew up and went off to uni and did their own thing and i thought well i'm not gonna have any more children so i best have some dogs <laughs> yeah <laughs> a much better choice a much better choice yeah. <laughs> far, far more rewarding far more rewarding. yeah and i wouldn't be without them they do something it doesn't really matter what it is but every day they will do something that makes me laugh and you know i just wouldn't trade that no, 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 I agree. I, I agree. The relationship I have with uh, with Molly, my Staffordshire, she is, I just, I just feel lucky. I, I don't know how else to describe it. I, I just feel very blessed, very lucky. Um, she's been an incredible gift uh, when she came into my life last year. And, you know, the circumstances were sad for her owner, you know, and, and that's kind of like the bit that's awkward because like, he passed away, sadly. I then got Molly and I just like, it's hard for me not to be happy about that because she brings me so much joy and, you know, and I love her to bits. It's, um, but interestingly, you said something about uh, the dog's functions, uh, kidney functions around the age of eight or nine, eight or nine, seven or eight. Seven. Yeah. So, so, cause that's about Molly's age. So you have my full attention, please explain. <laughs> okay. So yeah, their, their kidneys, um, you know, start to function slightly differently and they struggle to break down protein um, as efficiently uh, in their food. And so, you know, you can start to look at from when they're seven, looking at maybe changing their food, not radically changing it, but, you know, depending on what you feed, um, you are better to feed, um, whether it's dry food, raw food, whatever you feed, you're better to feed a high quality protein but less of it than you are to feed more protein so you want to reduce the amount of protein but you want it to be a really high quality protein so again depending on what you feed some feeds have um meat byproducts in them as opposed to meat yeah um, obviously meat is a much higher quality protein so you want to start looking at the makeup of their food um and you can you know if you're buying um ready-made food whether it be kibble or raw food or you know or meats whatever you're buying um there's a lot of information on the label um and you know you can start looking at 
how you change their food gradually from the age of seven to actually take strain off of their kidneys so yeah. they can be healthier for longer. Um, so yeah, there's an awful lot you can do and there's a lot you can do for dogs as they start to get older. Uh, it's even more important that we think about their mental stimulation um, because if you can keep them mentally stimulated, you can act, you can actually delay the onset of dog dementia. Okay. Um, and as dogs are living for longer, there are more dogs with doggy dementia. But if you can keep them mentally stimulated, you can actually delay the onset of that as well. So there's a lot you can do for an older dog um, that to, to keep them healthier for longer. I didn't. Um, when did people start recognising dementia in dogs? A while now i mean as i say i think that um as because dogs are living longer i mean you know even now if you look in if you look say on the kennel club website they would tell you for a lot of breeds that the average lifespan is 10 to 12 years yeah with a lot of dogs now it's 16 17 you know i've got a friend who's got a staffy that's 17 years old oh, jesus uh, a friend with a Jack Russell that's 16. Now, the Jack Russell's gone blind, unfortunately, um, but she's still quite active. But there are lots of things that you can do. Again, you know, if you do have an older dog that's going blind, what can you do to make, keep them feeling safe? Um, hmm. The different things that you can do, the different sensory experiences that you can have them, you have for them so that they use their other senses because they you haven't got their sight. So all of that care around elderly dogs is something I'm really passionate about because I think there is so much, some good, some not so good, but there's masses of stuff that you can find and read about puppies. You know, everyone's getting yeah. a puppy. Loads of stuff about puppies. But nobody talks about how you can really prepare your dog for older. And I think quite often, you know, if dogs start to display strange behaviours as they get older, people just go, oh, they're old. But actually, they could be an underlying health condition that could be treated. Mm. But people just tend to put it down to age. So it's about raising awareness of things to look out for and what that might mean. No, because, I mean, I've pretty much had dogs my entire life, you know. Um, as a kid, apart from a couple of years, we, we always had dogs. Uh, at one point, we had three dogs. And the thing about dogs is they're incredibly ro robust when they're young. And even when they get into their middle years, they 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 bound about, they bounce off everything. They are just robust. And then with all my dogs, there is a point when you suddenly, and it is quite sudden, they slow down slightly. They don't stretch as much. You know, they can't stretch as far. They're not as playful. They might be mentally as playful, but physically, they're they're not as involved. And it is. It's that thing is you start to notice them getting old and then it, it kind of stays level pegging for a while and, until sadly they, they tend to go. Um, <clears throat> but until you mentioned it, I hadn't thought about that. I have never seen information about what to do with old dogs. No. And it is about preparing them. It's about not waiting until they start to decline. It's what can you do before that? Um, so dogs, Dogs are really, really good at masking pain. Dogs yeah. don't don't really they really don't show pain unless it really, really hurts. So a lot of dogs can suffer from what we call silent pain. So basically something's a bit sore, something's a bit stiff, but they just mask it. Um, you know, but by the time you do notice it, so if you do think, oh, you know, she's got a bit of arthritis in her hips and she's starting to really struggle, there are things you could have done before that, but people just aren't aware of it. Um, you know, supplement and there's some fantastic supplements out there. I don't know if you've heard of U Move. Um, I have. U Move is a really, really good supplement. Very, very good. Unofficially, um, because I know humans that take it. Yeah, yeah, you can get it from humans too. Um, but I know humans that have taken the animal one because it was cheaper. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I probably just doesn't taste very nice, but it's got the same <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you move it is very good and especially dogs um, with joint pain. And um, but a lot of people will wait until their dogs become really stiff um, before yeah. they start to feed it. Whereas Alfie, as I say, he's five. He turned five last weekend. I put him on you move now. Now he's only five. 
you could wait until they're about seven but there's nothing wrong with him he's got no stiffness he's got no joint problems but i want to protect his joints because i'm aware that you know he's not that far off um mm. his body's starting to to change the way it processes things so you know there's a lot of things that you can do in advance which actually will prepare them um and keep them more comfortable yeah no i've, I've written that down actually because yeah molly's not shown any signs so now's probably a good time to start giving the supplements Absolutely. Yeah, it is absolutely, especially if she's seven. Well, I, I, I think she's probably, a, it's a bit confusing, but I think she's probably eight to nine, maybe even nine years old now. Yeah, you know. so definitely. Yeah, she's definitely at the moment not showing any signs of anything, but like you say, it's anything that you can give her before is, is going to aid her further along. Um, in regards to older dogs and mental stimulation, what would you recommend? It depends very much on how active your dog is. But if your dog is still fairly active, you can do things like um, scent work with them. Um, so there's a really, um, I mean, obviously, you need to wait till COVID's over and we're allowed out again. But there's a, a really uh, interesting thing that you can do called man trailing. Yes. Um, now, man trailing is great fun. It's really, really good for dogs. They're kept on a lead. Um, uh, a long lead but basically um, they're given a a cloth or a pair of socks or something that's got a very very strong scent on it and then they have to go off to try and follow that scent to find somebody that's hiding from them um, it's fantastic for their mental stimulation it's giving them a job to do if your dog's quite active still then man training is a really good thing to do if your dog's not so active um, then you could even do something as simple as um, if you've got some flower pots, put flower pots upside down on your lawn and, and hide some tasty treats under some of them and let the dog work out where the treats are all the time their brain's having to work. Um, there are lots of little things like even little tricks that you can teach them to do, even simple things like, you know, uh, shaking a paw or, yeah. um, you know, just things that make them think. Um, uh, but there's lots of lots of different kind of you know if, if you've got a dog that's starting to lose their sight um then you know if you've got if you're able to put some sort of pots in the garden that's maybe got lavender or um thyme or lemon balm or things that have got really nice smells and take your dog out on the lead so that they know where they get to learn where the pots are but they get to know where the smells are processing those smells again is really really good for their brain um and so it's just giving them something to think about that will keep their brain active. And depending on how physically active they are, there's lots of different things you can do. So do you teach that as part of the pause and play? Yes. So, yes, care for senior dogs um, and uh, a lot of the stuff that I do other than dog first aid um, is a franchise. Um, right. About 14 different dog first aiders across the country at the moment. So I have a, a particular area for training my dog first aid courses, and obviously they're all on Zoom at the moment. Um, but um, pause and play is my kind of overarching business, of which dog first aid is a bit. Um, but that is kind of national, and anything other than dog first aid is under my pause and play umbrella. So. Um, caring for elderly pets and I'm currently um, studying for pet bereavement counselling so I will be in a couple of months time a qualified pet bereavement counsellor and again for me that goes hand in hand with caring for elderly dogs and one of the things that people struggle with is knowing when to make the decision if they have to make the decision you know, am I making am I making them live longer for myself or mm. but again you know people are i don't want to make the decision too soon if they're okay and it's helping people through that process and planning which gives them a feeling um, a better feeling of control over it all but then also supporting them after they leave the pet and also how to how to help other pets cope because i know if i lost one of my dogs my whichever one the other dog would be completely lost yeah i've seen that with our dogs yeah, and how do you help them through that process? So that's all under force and play. Because that, that is it's a it's a it's a very difficult one. 
And in my family, I'm the one that always takes them to the vets. Always have, ever since I was late teens. I don't know why, I've always just been able to do it. And I've always been able to say, now's the time. Um, and it doesn't matter who the, the, the dog belonged to, you know, whether it was my brother, my sister, whatever, I, I, we can do this, I can do this. I mean, we're a very close family, so we kind of all live on top of each other, you know what I mean, to give it some sort of perspective. But I've, for me, that always came from a place of, as upset as I am, I couldn't let them go in on their own. I, I, I just felt that the, the very least I owed them was to be holding them at the end. And make no mistake, I'm not brave. It breaks my heart every single time. And I've shed more tears than a breakup. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, but I just have this really, I suppose guilt may be the wrong way to, to word it. I might not be articulating this very well, but I, I cannot, I just cannot imagine allowing my pet to go in, my dog to go in there on their own. So I, I have to be with them. Um, but like I said, I've always considered myself fortunate that I'm able to do that, you know, because I come from a strong family and none of them can do it. You know, they just like, and, and, you know, and these are not weak people in any way, shape or form. And I think it's one of the hardest parts of owning a, a, a pet, but particularly a dog. Um, is when that you you get such a bond, like you know, like you and I were saying at the very beginning, you, your your two sons went off to university. I'm going to get some dogs, and we were both talking about just every day how rewarding that is. Mm -hmm. And then there comes a time, and it's so so difficult, where you often have to be the one that makes a decision. And you, in, in my experience, and you don't often get much warning, you know, it's, but like you were saying, by the time you realize they're in pain or something's wrong and you go to the vets, it might not actually be something that you can do anything about. And <clears throat> sometimes you might be lucky and they can be medicated and you can, they can continue to have a healthy life for a couple of years and you get some then okay, we're now in the latter stages of their life. So you, you get some mental preparation. But I've had quite a few cases over the years where the vet's like, there might not be anything you can do. And before you know it, five days later, you, you're burying the dog. And those, it's hard. It's hard because it's a, my experience again with vets is they will never tell you, you have to put the dog down. They will just say, no, that, no, exactly that. So they normally say it may be in its best interests, you know, and it is, it's, it's the toughest of days. And, and then afterwards, the very thing that brought you so much joy is not there. Exactly. And that's why I think, you know, pet bereavement counselling is, is really important for people because they are more so now than ever, I think, they are such a part of our family. It's like losing a family member. You know? Definitely. They're not just a pet. Yeah. They're, you know, they're <clears throat> family, and, and you are going to grieve. And, and I think, you know, you mentioned guilt. I think a lot of people go through that guilt process. Um, and it's helping people understand that, you know, that, that actually they shouldn't be feeling guilty. They've done what they felt was best for the dog with the information they were given and, and they, they've actually done the right thing and then you know it's like any loss isn't it you go through kind of the, the, the guilt you go through the anger and all of those different things but then if you've got another pet that is also struggling to cope that kind of almost makes it even harder so it's just giving people some advice and some, some you know support through that process do you know <clears throat> that just reminded me of a, a tragic but funny story um not with molly but before molly we had uh, a colleague called toby and toby originally came with a rottweiler called roxy roxy they were in the dogs trust together <clears throat> team somehow teamed up together whatever whatever way that was and we had both of them and 
Roxy was just um you you could tell from a young age she'd been overbred. She she never looked like she'd ever matured into a full Rottweiler. And and what <clears throat> for context, Roxy was our second Rottweiler. So we did have some experience of, of Rottweilers and but Toby was our first collie. And Roxy was just this endless, boundless bundle of joy that just jumped around like Tigger twenty four seven. And very sadly, she, I can't remember exactly what happened, but her stomach blew up, it was all completely swollen, and we took her to the vets, and they're like, there's nothing we're going to be able to do, we're going to need to put, you know. So we did that. And then we got back, and we're like, what are we going to do with Toby? Because for as long as we've had Toby, which is like by this time five or six years, we've only known him with Roxy. I've never seen such a happy dog. <laughs> Turned out, Toby bloody hated her. Because... <laughs> <laughs> When, she, when we never came back with her, he just became a different dog. It is like, and we've had dogs before that when the other one went, like you said, there was this grieving process and you just like, you can tell they're hurting. They're very quiet. They're off their food. There's lots of sighing, head down. The, the, their whole body language is just different to what you're used to. <clears throat> and they're, they're not even that pleased in a, in a horrible way, but... I don't mean it in a horrible way, but they're not even that pleased to see you when you've been out and you come back. You don't get that normal greeting because they're hurting. Yeah, they can, they can become very depressed. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah. About depression in dogs, but dogs do suffer from depression. Yeah, but not with Toby. When Roxy went, <laughs> we came back for the vets. Toby realised we didn't have Roxy. He was doing cartwheels. <laughs> I have never seen such a happy dog. And we were just like, wow, he must have hated her. Because our experience of other dogs was the depression, the, 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 you know. So, sorry, go on. <laughs> oh, bless him. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know. But it is, because I, I think dog owners know this. Any dog owner that's listening to this, that they know that that bond you have with your pet, with your dogs, um, is when they go, it is heartbreaking. And the hole that is left in your life is incredible. You just you wouldn't imagine it, you know. And there's and it's very difficult to describe what's that like for every individual, and you know. And I wouldn't want to make blanket statements, but there are people, you know. When you say to somebody, I've, "I've lost, you know, I've got to put the dog down," or "I've lost my dog," there's some people who are just like, "Wow, no, take the day off, don't do it." Do you know what I mean? Because they understand the pain that you're going through and how hard that is for some people. And so I think it's good because, again, I'd never thought about bereavement counselling for, for dogs or for pets. Yeah, no, I think it's really important. But you're right. Some people who have had dogs or have pets get it. Mm. People who don't or have never had pets is kind of just a dog. Yeah. But they? they're not just a dog. No. Um, and I don't... In... Sorry, Cameron. No, I was just going to say, I think that it, as painful as it is, I wouldn't trade the the enjoyment and the love and affection I get from them now, even though I know that is coming one day. I still wouldn't trade it. No, I agree with you. The The reward of having of having a dog is is well worth it. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing else compares to it. Um, and I just, you know, for people who are listening... It's just, it's really trying to explain, look, when, when it, that time comes, people understand. They understand how much you're hurting. And, you know, I, I won't mention them by name, but I have a friend who lost his dog a few years ago. He's still grieving. He was so close to his, his dog and he still, he still grieves. And the last time, I haven't spoken to him for about a year because he's moved, but the last time I spoke to him about it, you know, he just say, just, no, he misses his dog. He's heartbroken. And he's, he doesn't think, he's not even sure he'll ever recover. Because, you know, him and his wife, they adored the dog. And the dog was, I think, was around for 17, 18 years. You know. Yeah, no, it's a, really, it's a really tough one. It's a really tough one. But it's nice to know that there are people who you can talk to that will understand. Um, you know, which is always important. No, I, I, th I think, you know, it is, no, I think that's, it's, it's really, really good work. You know, because, um, a bereavement, we know we have bereavement counsellors in every way, 
in you know, in every other form of life. And yeah, no, it's I mean, absolutely. You know, I applaud you because I hadn't I'd never thought about that. And I, you know, like I said, I, I can't stress enough to people who are listening that you know, I we completely understand what it's like and how much it hurts. And you are inevitably going to have to go through that. And you know, like you say, when when that's happened to you, and somebody else comes along and says, "It's just a dog," that it's 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 not saying it's the last thing you need to hear doesn't even come close to what that means. Yeah, I agree. You know, <clears throat> so how 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 does that work? How do you help people like that? So I'm currently still going through my training at the moment. Um, so as I say, that should be finished in the next couple of months, but. Um, it can be um, in various ways, really. So it can just be somebody that wants to have a, um, almost like a, I guess, a WhatsApp. I'm really struggling with this. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. Um, or it can be um, like sort of you know, one-to-one um, Zoom calls, um, depending on obviously what, when we're allowed to change uh, what we can do, um, it could be face-to-face meetings with people if that's what they would prefer. So there's lots of different ways. Um, but uh, once I've done my training, I will also be putting sort of top tips on my Pause and Play website and things like that. So things for people to think about beforehand. So I will share as many top tips as I can, but I will also do kind of one-to-one consultations with people whatever format works best for them. Some people don't feel up to doing a Zoom call. They don't want to see yeah. anybody but they might just want to have kind of like a text message or WhatsApp chat to get that support. It's whatever will work for people, given that they're the ones that need the support at the time. It might be used, It might be good um, to do another podcast just, just on bereavement. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd be more than happy to do that. Yeah. I mean, if we, we see that in a couple of months' time, then um, yeah. I'll have, have a lot more information I can share. So. Yeah, no, no, that 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 would be good, and I genuinely one of those things that I think would it would be massively beneficial to a lot of people, you know, yeah. and and it's one of those things that can be used anywhere in the world. So it it, it just be great. But one of the things I like asking this question: um, What do you see people do that's right? What do I see people do that's right in respect to dogs? Yeah, with their pets. Because everything is like, well, what, are, what do people do wrong? I, I like to know what people do right. I think there's a lot of things that people do right. I think people are a lot more focused on um, their dog's weight. And I think yeah. that is incredibly important. Um, staggeringly still, 53% of dogs in the UK are currently overweight. Shocking. That's a massive, massive number. And... I, you know, on my first aid course, I, I explained to people that dogs suffer from all the same problems we do when they're overweight. So they'll have joint problems, they'll have respiratory problems, they'll have heart problems, they can suffer from diabetes. Um, so, you know, they ha- they will suffer from all the same diseases that we do if we're overweight. Um, people are becoming better educated, I think, in terms of managing their dog's weight. And I think I've certainly seen a much bigger focus on making sure being A, the right food, but B, the right thing. Uh, so I, I, it, there's a long way to go, but I do think people are becoming more focused on really trying to keep their dogs healthy, which is really That's good. And with pause and play, is that around, is that based around a lot on the stimulation of dogs and so it's a mixture. It's uh, really anything to do with the mental and physical health and well-being of dogs. So I'm very, as I said earlier, very focused on trying to find lots of different ways that you can mentally stimulate a dog. Because there's lots of reasons why a dog might not be able to go for a walk. It could be that they're, you know, they've just they've slowed down. They've got arthritis, or you know, they can't physically do it. It could be that they're recovering from surgery and they're on cage rest and they're not allowed to do it. Um, it could be that people have got dogs that um, perhaps haven't got a great recall and never let off the lead and therefore just bound around all over the place and bounce off the walls and you need to find a way of trying to wear them out. Yeah. Uh, so there's lots of different reasons why people might need mental stimulation for their dogs, but pause and play is very much about both 
balancing the mental and the physical stimulation. It's about weight management. It's about nutrition. Um, it's really the, it's really strange. I would say it's a holistic approach to dog care. But the problem is that as soon as you say holistic, people think it's a bit woo-woo. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. I, I get this. Yeah, I, I'm very, um, I, I did a couple of podcasts recently on uh, with Reiki, two Reiki healers, a different podcast. One, one introduced me to the other. And one of their things is, it's like they're trying to move away from the woo-woo because they're both actually psychiatrists or psychologists in, you know, in, in terms of their education and stuff um, to a very high level. You know, and they're like, but the problem is, as soon as you say Reiki or holistic or anything, it just gets caught under this woo woo banner, and everyone's like, oh God, we're going to be burning incense in a minute. You know, yeah. And, Agreed. and I think also, as soon as you say holistic, for some reason, people have it in their heads that if it's a holistic approach, you're not properly trained. Yes. They're like holistic vets, people go, oh, they're not proper vets. They are proper vets, they're fully qualified proper vets. They just also use alternative medicine. Um, but you know, as soon as you say something's holistic, they kind of go, "Oh, you're not properly trained, or it's not a proper thing." Mm. So I don't like to use the word, but if you use the word as it actually, what it actually means, then it is a holistic approach to dog welfare. It's it's, <laughs> it's really difficult, isn't it? Because it's just like say it's the same as if you use the word alternative medicine. Alternative, it's just like no, no, it doesn't mean that it's not valid. You know, yeah, just not... just means you don't have to have a prescription for a cardboard box or a set of pills that come off a shelf. You know, yeah. it's you know, like so. I mean, you were talking about dog depression. You know, you know, depression is a huge thing in humans, massive thing in humans. And I, I know nothing about dog depression. I don't. Right? Yeah, there are lots of reasons why dogs might suffer from depression, but it can also be if they're on certain medications. It's it's quite certainly painkilling medications. Um, it's quite a substantial side effect of a lot of painkilling medication, um, especially if the dog's on it for very long. Um, yeah. It can actually cause depression. All right. Um, and it'll be things like, you know, they, they're just not interested in life. They just curl up in the chair. They don't want to go for a walk. Um, they're not interested in their toys. They're not really interested in their food. Um, it's similar to, yeah, I mean, I know... Um, looking at my dogs because my my bulldog had um had to have crucial ligament surgery and she found that really tough because she was young and you yeah. know, she, she did find it really tough and we went through as one of the reasons that i really researched it and studied it was we went through um having to change her medication but for her pain relief several times because she was depressed and i initially felt really strange saying to my vet i think she's depressed um because i thought the vet's gonna be depressed but he's like yeah it's quite possible um and so i did a lot of research and studying into it then um but i could tell just by looking at her yeah you know, she just, just looking in her eyes i just knew um and i think that's one of the things that i would say to anybody really about anything not just depression is nobody knows your dog as well as you do and if yeah. you think there's something wrong, then there's probably something wrong. Um, so don't be afraid to tell your vet. A lot of people are a bit worried about saying to the vet, oh, she's just not right, um, because they think the vet's going to kind of go, well, what do you know? You know, I'm the vet. But vets actually like you to tell them as much as you can about your dog because they can't possibly know your dog as well as you do. You know, so I think, you know, if you genuinely think there's something wrong with your dog, then keep pushing with that until you find out what it is, because you're probably right. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think most vets are very responsive because yeah. they realise your, you know, your your dog can't communicate exactly what it is. So they need the feedback from you. Like, well, why do you suspect this? What would your dog normally be like? And and what's happening now that's different? Or, you know, what is it? And like you say, something as simple as like just know my dog and. You know the way she looks at me, the, the whatever. It, it just, you know, it's yeah. the vet will understand that far more than people realise. Yeah, they will. Vets, you know, vets genuinely want, you know, they want to do the very best that they can, absolutely. And and any help that you can give them is so beneficial. And I think the other thing is never be afraid to ask your vet to talk straight 
and 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 because bets are human beings and they've got feelings too and they are not going to want to say something to you if they think it's going to upset you um especially if they're perhaps doing some tests and they don't quite know a lot of the time they'll say oh we'll do some blood tests and then people come away and they worry and they think well, what are they doing those blood tests for or but they don't like to ask the vet no and the vet isn't going to tell you well it could be this it could be that and it could be that because they don't want you worrying about something that might not be so but i think you know give your vet permission to talk openly with you uh, and then they will it's not that they're trying to hide stuff it's just that you know they're human beings too and they don't want to stand there and upset people so um you know i think there's a lot we can do to help our vets that people don't realize no, no, that's that's actually, you know that's a very good point you know it's incredibly valid because you're right the vet is going to see lots of different people every day and in a week and it doesn't know who is sensitive to what. If they don't have a relation, you know, hopefully nobody has a really good relationship with their vet because, <laughs> you know, that means you're spending a lot of time, you know, in making agonising decisions. You know, so the vet, you know, uh, hopefully you don't see them that often. And when you then are in their presence, like you say, they can't tell whether you want the truth. You want to know the ins and outs of things. You're right. You, you need to help them. You need them to come along. And uh, I'm just getting conscious of the time. And but before I finish up, sorry. We could talk all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. And this is the thing. <laughs> I just want to because you said to me at the very beginning of the podcast, and you said, "I said to you how many dogs you've got," and you said two at the moment because that's all my husband will let me have. So <laughs> at the moment. So, so, so where are the ambitions and the plans? <laughs> oh, do you know, if I could, if I could buy a field somewhere, <laughs> um, I, well, my husband won't let me go to uh, rescue centres no. because we would have a house full of dogs. Um, and I would bring home the three-legged one-eyed dog that nobody else wanted, the really ugly one that no one wanted. Yeah. But I'm a sucker for the one that no one else wants. Um, I would I would like another dog, um, mainly because um, I really do enjoy my canny cross. And although my dogs, they do enjoy it, it's not their favourite thing in life. No. They'll do it because I want to go, but they'd rather be having a good old sniff around in hedgerows and things. They're not really they're not really into. They're you know well you know having a staffy. They they short little bursts of energy and yeah. then a lie down is a staffy's way of life you know having to run across fields for 5k or more it's not really his thing <laughs> no so i would love a dog that actually wants to run <laughs> um so, but um yeah. so yeah what, what did um so i mean yeah because i definitely molly she loves a sprint and then she wants to rest a little bit then she'll have another sprint but she yeah you, i couldn't go running with molly she she wouldn't have that and one of the things that surprised me about a Staffordshire is how much she's with her nose. She sniffs everything. It's stuck to the floor, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I never, because this is my first Staffy, so I, I really didn't have any knowledge of her. Um, and I was, I'm so surprised at how much she is 99% nose. She sniffs everything. Her nose is in everything. I think that's because Staffies and Labradors are very similar. They are completely driven by their stomach. Everything their stomach. <laughs> their nose has to be stuck to the floor because there might be a crumb or there might be something that they could eat because they might have just had their breakfast, but right now I'm starving and I'm hungry. Molly is a disposal machine, and you're right. I can give it doesn't matter how much I feed her. She just and it's funny because you said that I used to have a Labrador as a kid and you're right. He just was constantly for food. And the thing that I, I can't understand with Molly, <clears throat> which does remind me of the Labrador, she's even worse, is because she's small. And I'm sure, and I'm not exaggerating, over like Christmas Day and stuff, I was just like, do you know what? We'll go nuts. She can do what she wants. I think she ate her own body weight twice over. And I'm just like, where can you actually be putting this food? And I've never seen, it doesn't matter what you feed her or how much you feed her, it's insatiable. She never stops. Yeah, that's Staffy. 
stuffies and labs, they're both exactly the same. They're driven by their stomach. But she never chews. Everything's just inhaled and swallowed. Because yeah. like well, when I... those puzzle bowls, have you got one of the? No. So I've got a puzzle bowl for both of mine because if if I didn't put their food in there, that they had to work harder to get it out, they would be like a, a vacuum cleaner. It would just be, a, and it'd be gone. Yeah. So I put a puzzle bowl so that they have to work a little bit harder. What I do with Molly a couple of times a day is I get a collection of different types of treats. Um, they're typically dry meat based or something like that. Because um, I used to try and give her chews, you know, um, but she would just start swallowing. She was, we had this, but I had to stop giving her chews because she, you know, like, yeah, she was swallowing, you know, like the, the, the lever type things that's supposed to chew on for hours. Once she'd unraveled it, she tried, she would swallow the whole thing. And you're just like, and then of course she throws it up 10 minutes later. And you're just like, the first couple of times she did this, I was just like, it's a bit strange. And then I realised this is just going to be too dangerous because if I don't keep things a down to a certain size, she will try and swallow it as quickly as possible. And she, there's literally, she's not even eating these things. And they're just going down in one and you're like, God, you're going to kill yourself. But So what I do now is I, I get treats and they're all, they're actually in a, a lunchbox. They're all chopped up into small little pieces. Um, and I have a couple of different types of chews. And I do it two or three times a day. I put... I put them in my, you know, I, I put it behind my back sort of thing, sit on the floor, and I will make her find which hand it's in. And then when she figures out which hand it, it's in, there's five minutes of gnawing and playing and chewing and everything on my hand before I'll give it to her. Do you know what I mean? So she has to really work hard to get the food, you know, or occasionally I'll sit down and hide it under my legs. So she has to kind of like dig it out to get to it. And I do things like that. And part the one of the reasons I do that, uh, not that I've just never thought about a puzzle ball. Is the only reason I haven't used a puzzle ball. It's, it's just actually part of that bonding process where she gets excited because she's trying to play with me and food. And I don't like dogs that I can't put my hands near their mouth. So she's, she's so used to me um, being around her mouth and food. I, I don't have any fear. And because I didn't, I didn't know her, I don't know her history, I needed something that I could quickly... Because you know what it's like. I mean, anybody that's got a Staffordshire or a Bull Terrier type dog, <laughs> I was shocked at how to, how well they can clamp down and how hard they can bite. Quite incredibly strong. Yeah, and like I said, you know, I've had two Rottweilers, I've had Labradors, I've had Collies, and it, I just mean in terms of like how small that mouth is. But wow, that's a bite. And she's been—I can't fault her. She's always been good as gold. But I needed something where she was used to my hand being around her mouth and with food because I needed to know if there was any aggression or anything like that. And actually, she's incredibly playful. And, of course, that then means when she does try to swallow something whole, I don't fear sticking my hand near her mouth trying to get it off her, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know. But interestingly, as I say, you know, because staffers and labs are very, very similar, I was reading a, a very interesting white paper the other day that, was, uh, that had done this huge study in Labrador puppies and their lifespan. And it was saying that overweight Labrador puppies have a two to three year less lifespan expectancy than a puppy that is kept leaner. Wow. Because that... of the, the way that the body matures, if they're overweight when they're puppies, it, it actually can shorten their lifespan, which I found absolutely fascinating. Yeah, so just quickly um, before we finish off, because... That's actually almost similar to humans as well in, in some human uh, research into it. But going back to the, the running with the dogs, what dog would you like for that? Well, <laughs> uh, the best dogs for canny crossing, the fastest dogs and the best dogs that take to it easily are either Vizslas. Vizslas? Yeah, a Hungarian Vizsla, um, oh. a Pointer, German Pointer, or a Weimaraner. Those three breeds are absolutely fantastic. I know somebody with a Vibramama. It's gorgeous, gorgeous oh, dog as well. They are. They, are. They, they can have, not all of them, a lot, you know, I mean, they're beautiful dogs, but some of them can have temperament issues. But again, it depends on the genetic and how they've been bred. Well, talking on behalf of Caroline, who might be listening to this, her dog does not have temperament issues, other than she knows she's beautiful. <laughs> 
I love my runners. They are the most beautiful dogs, beautiful dogs, but fantastic for running. Um, but I also like the um, the wirehead Bislers and the um, the sort of wirehead pointers as well. I mean, the smooth ones are just as good for running. I just like scruffy. I think because I've got <laughs> very smooth coats, I want scruffy. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's i mean that's the great thing isn't it is um about dogs like i said you know you just this this yeah sometimes it's just their appearance sometimes it's their personality there's just like you say there's this something about a scruffy dog that everyone knows what you mean when you say a scruffy dog because some dogs just just scruffy but there's something about them that's adorable at the same time there's certain things about dogs and i realize i haven't said i've got to be conscious of time but we keep talking and talking and talking but there is something about all dogs that everybody just if you you know you just like them it's like you know like a scruffy dog or a cheeky dog you know there's dogs that bound there's dogs that are always playful and there's dogs that are just like <laughs> you know like big heavy set dogs but there's a cuteness about all dogs Oh yeah, I, I love dogs. I mean, whereas some people can always see the good in other people, I can all see the good in dogs. That's, yeah, that doesn't matter. I can always see the good in a dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I, I'm one hundred percent, and that yeah, I'm with you. I can see the good in dogs. When I see dogs, they're just like yeah, all the, all dogs have something about them. You know? And that's probably the best place to end. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.